good morning. Not technically, uh, but still, good morning. Welcome to The Old School, a podcast about a host of things, not least of which is education. But we also managed to slip in a bunch of other stuff, including today. And with that, I shall say good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Herr Miller, it's good to see you and hear you. I understand you're out of the country once again. It seems like a recurring thing here. <laughs> I am back in Germany. So um, so it's a, it's a, it's been an incredible experience thus far, and I'm sure we will talk about it. Uh, but um, I don't know what else there is to talk about except for that. So well, uh, the, whole, the whole purpose of why I'm here, by the way, is so so last year i had this idea and like most ideas i didn't fully think it through but my idea was is that i would take two weeks and i would go to europe during the soccer season i would go to england and i would go see everton at goodison park in liverpool and then i would travel down to germany meet my friends hang out with friends stay with friends and then we would go see Dortmund play at their park. Their park, by the way, is the largest soccer stadium in Europe. So I present this to my wife. I tell her of all the ways in which this is good, that the money is being saved and all this other stuff. And she's told me in no uncertain terms, you're telling me that you want to leave me with our daughter for two weeks during the school year with me doing everything. Because at that point, I realized that perhaps that was not a good idea at all, but rather a dumb one. And so what I've managed to do is twofold. One, I shortened it to just one week in Dortmund, in Germany. That's the cheapest part of the trip. Mm-hmm. And I'm only gone for a week. And that seemed to be okay. And so there, here we are. So you, the other part I misunderstood, that was supposed to be in England? Is that right? Well, yeah, that was the original, that was kind of the original idea is that I would plan it so that I would catch Everton at home. And then the next week I would catch Dortmund at home. Okay. And so, so you compressed the trip and I would have thought that based on the last time that you were in Germany, you would have worn out your welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I mean, so typically we're only here every two years because of the exchange yeah but the problem is the last two exchanges we had was broken up by you and i showing up to do our philosopher trip and now a mere eight months later after the last exchange i'm back again so it's very likely i have worn out my welcome i think so and and if they never see me again it may be too soon well that's impressive so i I think we just I want to hear about the soccer and you're a good storyteller. So I'm just going to listen. If I think of a way to get a cheap joke in, I will, but I want to know what it was like (laughs) to go to see Dortmund play. Well, so I think the first, so first of all, Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund is based in Dortmund, which is a part of what's called the Ruhrgebiet, which is kind of a very, certainly, you know, prior to the eighties, a very heavily industrial area. Nowadays, it, you know, the different cities in the region have found ways to kind of re-identify themselves. But a part of uh, Dortmund has always been the soccer team. Started in 1909. It is perhaps arguably the second biggest club in the German soccer league. 
And unfortunately, as we were sitting out trying to find tickets for the game that I eventually went to last night, the problem was is that Dortmund and the famous soccer team that you listeners might have heard of, Bayern Munich, they don't have a secondary market for tickets. And so that was like a big to-do, and I didn't know until three weeks before I left that I had tickets to the game. So so getting the tickets, finally got the tickets. We were going to see Freiburg, um, the city we were in a couple years ago. And so there we are. So we're going to the game. Now, the problem is, is that the distance from where my friends live to Dortmund is about three hours. And unfortunately, between soccer traffic, between carnival traffic, between Friday after work traffic, we hit a major traffic jam in a tiny town called Lutenscheiden. And we ended up in it. It sounds like I made up the name of the town. I did not. I double checked it, you know, but it took us about four hours to get there. And you get you get sent into this parking lot. I, I must tell you, I have never been to a sporting event mm-hmm. that included that many. It was well over eighty one thousand people were at this game. I've never been to a sporting event in a car that went so easily to get in and to get out. Really? So that that's that's like number one thing I I you know that got my attention. So get out of the car and. By the way, I hesitate whether I should bring this up or not, but in the parking lot, they had a building that was entitled Pissoir. Now, for any of our listeners who speak French, you'll know exactly what that building was. And if you don't speak French, you could probably take a fair shot at what it is. And so in the middle of this parking lot, there's this place to go to the bathroom. And it was kind of a strange thing because it was the old trough system. Do you remember those old kind of things where you just kind of saddle up to the trough and just do your business? So we get out of there. We head out to the stadium. The stadium is mammoth. And there's all kind of fans. Everyone is bedecked in the colors of Dortmund. Primarily, those are black and yellow. And you'll see a spot of red here and there. Those are the Freiburg fans. And we make our way to the stadium. And I think the first thing that it kind of hits you is that no matter where you are and no matter what kind of sporting event you're going to, the smells are the same. Because the first thing that hit me as I got to the stadium was the smelling of grilled meat. <laughs> okay. and, and there's nothing lovelier than the smell of bratwurst or other pork products even for a Jew, to smell that grilling and know that at least you're going to be well-fed. Even if nothing else is good about the experience, at least that's the case. So we get in there, and like I said, there's tons of people there. First thing we did is we went to the fan shop because all I had was a baseball cap that had the logo of the team on it. Now, the fan shop has ball caps in it. No one's buying them. The only thing people are buying are shirts and and scarves and that sort of thing. I am the only person that I saw that had a ball cap. 
And I could only imagine that that was the surefire signal to everybody else that I was the American. Because you know, we love our ball caps. You don't wear ball caps, though, do you? Um, I wear them at home sometimes. I don't usually wear them out. Uh, um, I'll, I'll sport a different type of hat, maybe a Cuban hat or something. But I don't know. That little fedora thing, whatever you have. The fedora or, yeah, but but no. So so you, you brought a cap and then you bought a second cap. No, so I brought a cap. And what I bought at the store, and it's a madhouse in that store because everyone's trying to get gear to go into the stadium. No one's there just to hang out. They're trying to get the stuff and they're trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. So I grabbed a scarf. I grabbed a discount rack sweatshirt, which luckily fits <laughs> fits me. And then we headed out to, to the stadium. Now, the stadium is a weird kind of situation. Oh, by the way, we, we got... So there are three things I was told that we should eat mm-hmm. when we go there. One was the bratwurst sandwich. You sent a picture of that. I sent a picture of that. Yeah. yeah. And and I remember my one of my hosts says, I said, well, what are you going to get? Oh, just mustard. It's fine. You know, don't don't get crazy. And then the second thing that they people told me to get was the curry verse. Sure. Did not do that. Really? Well, because you can get currywurst almost anywhere. You Well, for that matter, you can get a bratwurst anywhere. But to me, the bratwurst was the closest thing as, uh, resembling what I might typically get going to a sporting event, i.e. a baseball game. That's basically a hot dog. A much better version of a hot dog, but basically that's what you're getting. Pretty much every element in Germany is better from the, from the roll to the sausage itself to the zenf to the mustard everything's better you would think looking at the bread you would think that thing is dry but that's not the case because between the fat of the sausage and they put in a little extra butter or something like that on the roll that thing goes down quite nicely you know so that and there was also like a fricadiller basically like a hamburger sandwich is what they had but i wasn't going to do that because Lord knows I can get a hamburger in I Texas. Think we could probably out hamburger them, I would say. But I, I think, yeah, I, I think they're reaching with this one. And that may be their weakest offering. But I went with the bratwurst sandwich, mm-hmm. went, with a, went with a beverage, and then we headed in. Now, here's the deal. So they've got, so based on where your ticket is, it determines which part, uh, which gate you go into. So the place that we were going had about 15 stalls that you go into the, 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 I think about the four or five lines, five stalls on the far left were women only. I didn't know that at first though. So I'm like in this line with like only two people in it. And I think I've scored, but my host said, no, 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 that's the ladies. Like, oh, going into the stands, they have different lines. That doesn't make a bit of sense. No. So when you go into the stadium, one yeah. of the things they do is they frisk you. Oh, okay. I'm I'm with you now. <laughs> so obviously, the men and women need to be separate for no other reason, so that there's a separation. Who's doing the frisking and who are they frisking? So the problem is, is that to get into the gates, it, it becomes like this, like bottleneck of everyone trying to shove into a couple different stalls 
Now, I think for some people that would be intimidating and that they would want no part of it. As it happens, I'm a fairly big guy who knows how to get through a crowd. And even when I had people trying to like push, I'm not moving. And they, and they realize pretty quickly I'm not moving. And so they figure something else out. So I know how to get through a crowd. We finally get through. We go up. And this is still an hour before the game starts. And we get in. Now, one of the things that people may or may not know has to do with a certain group of fans that most European teams have, and they're called ultras. Now, in some countries, these ultras are basically nothing more than a glorified group of hooligans. And in some places, these ultras have been known for some pretty bad deeds. I don't know if you remember or how much you remember of the 80s and the 90s where soccer teams played the empty stadiums because the governing soccer body basically outlawed fans from being there because the hooligans and the ultras were just too much. The ultras, at least where I was, is a little bit different. In Dortmund, they have a group called the Yellow Wall, Gelbavand. And this Gelbavand is made up of about 25,000 people. Imagine 25,000 people from the moment they were all present. It must have been at least an hour and a half before the game until at least 40 minutes after the game. And all they're doing the whole time is chanting, jumping, waving flags, you name it. And that's the yellow wall. And it is massive. And when you're talking about 25,000 some odd people, all doing anything in concert, that's pretty remarkable in and of itself. But then, you know, you you know, you get this, and you're just like, holy cow, look at those people over there. We were, our section, incredible seats. Our section was right next to the visitor's section, which is basically the Freiburg Ultras. And they've got their flags, and they're ready to go. Oh, they didn't really kick it into gear until after the game started. And so this is like the this is like what you're greeted with before the game even begins. So what what was your impression? I mean, you mentioned these these ultra folks. Were they intimidating? Were they um, all show? What was your what was your first take on these these individuals? Well, first of all, my I, I guess the first take is I wasn't intimidated because I was not the focus of their angst. Uh, I imagine if you were like a visiting player, that it must be quite something. Because again, this is the largest soccer stadium in Europe. Ergo, this is perhaps the largest ultra section of any team in Europe. The, so the, uh, the Gelbe Band was all ultras. I mean, those are the yes. fanatics. The whole Yeah, these are the hardcore... They are not shutting up the entire time. The The thing that I perhaps most compare it to, at least in spirit and enthusiasm, would be like Japanese baseball fans, <clears throat> because each team has their section of the stadium that's dedicated to people who spend the entire time just chanting and cheering and singing and all this other stuff. There's an extra menacing quality to the ultras in Europe that the Japanese uh, quote-unquote ultras don't have 
But that's probably the closest thing I can compare it to. Wow. And I heard one, I heard a quote from one goalkeeper for Dortmund, a former one. And he says, I cannot tell you how it feels to have 25,000 people behind you doing everything they're doing. He says it can be unnerving. And I am in and I'm in good hands because he's basically saying, listen, I'm one of the quote unquote good guys. And with those guys behind me, it still feels intimidating. Wow. And so that was kind of the first part of the experience. Now, the game itself was a pretty dominating affair. Dortmund had no trouble with Freiburg. Whatever Freiburg thought they were bringing to the table, it did not turn out well. And Dortmund ends up winning 3-0. So that's always fun. If for no other reason but that the team that you're going to see ends up winning, it beats getting blown out or getting or losing some other way. So they won fairly easily. During the game, of course, even though their team is getting killed on the field, the Freiburg Ultras are just chanting and singing. If anything, in their mounting points against them during the game, <laughs> they get loud, they get louder. Wow. Now, at some point, it makes you wonder, what are they doing this for? Because it's like they don't seem to understand the scope of what's happening in the game because what happens in the game does not affect what they do. And so, therefore, what they do doesn't really have anything to do with what's on the field, except for the fact that they cheer and they do songs when their team scores or whatever the case may be. So it's not unlike college football where they they don't ever technically lose. You know, they just run out of time, but they're <laughs> they're still in it to win it. You know, particularly the, the the crowd. It's interesting you brought up college football because I was talking to my friends last night, and I and they were trying to figure out, you know, is there anything that could compare to this in the United States? And the only thing that even comes close. It's college football because you have the student sections, you know, maybe college basketball in some areas, uh, although that's a much more contained, much more smaller atmosphere. But the college football thing is probably perhaps the only thing I can compare just the spectacle to. So you're used to watching soccer. I know you watch a lot on on television, but now suddenly there, there is no announcer. Is that right? And, and so you're just watching people run around and and everybody gets excited at the right moments because they're experienced, really good fans. Well, it does help. It's a little bit like uh, the first time I tried to sit with you and watch hockey. And you keep bringing up a technology that we're using in the 90s with the glowing puck thing. I love that. I could never see the puck. Now, at that point, I could. I thought, oh, look at that thing go. <laughs> so... I think that I think the <laughs> I think the biggest catch here is that you do have to kind of be paying attention. And and so, you know, just following all the action, you know, I know how I know when something might happen. I know when something might be developing. And that, that kind of helps me stay in the game. Uh, I don't know if my if my friends are surprised to the degree to which I was following or if I was interested or if it could be said, I was knowledgeable about the game, but, but, you know, that's how you kind of stay engaged. There is a moderator on the field. He's actually a former Dortmund player. 
And so he just kind of introduces um, what's going on uh, before the game. He introduces the lineup, and that's always fun. He'll say, number seven, and he'll say his first name, and then the crowd will shout his last name. So it's kind of a cool kind of thing. Some baseball teams have started doing that uh, last year, I think, in the in Major League Baseball. So you, th- these are the things that this is kind of the spectacle that you see. It sounds like wholesome entertainment. Bring the whole family. Well, I will say, hmm. I saw an amazing amount of father sons, really? which was kind of heartwarming because that was my first experience in baseball. It was a father son sort of a thing. So, to me, I mean that was that was kind of cool to see. I was sad that I didn't see a lot of father daughters. Maybe daughters just don't roll that way in Europe. You know, when the when the dads roll big into it, maybe they just walk away from it. I don't know, um, but I guess because I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a father of a daughter, then you know perhaps that's what I was kind of looking for a little bit. But uh but yeah, there was a there, there was a family section, and I don't know what makes it a family section. I don't know if they get like kids get discounts or whether there's no alcohol. I, I don't know what's going on up there, but there was a family section in the state. Well, the the time that you and I went to Kaiserslautern to to see, um, it didn't seem as family friendly. You know, it seemed a little bit edgy, and you had to be on your toes a little bit looking around your surroundings. Um, In fact, you you almost lost your camera at that moment, I recall. (laughs) (laughs) All those years. Did did you lose it again, or you still have it with you? I still have it with me. I was actually able to bring bring it into the stadium. Okay. Uh, I didn't have all because the, the last time at Kaiser's Lot, and I had the whole camera bag, including the extra lenses, and they thought I was like Ansel Adams or whatever. They thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> they they thought I was going to be taking pictures, I guess, or selling them or what have you. But then I just showed up this time with my regular camera, and I'm just Joe Schmo with a camera. You know, the guy did ask me. You know, he said, he said, what kind of camera is that? I said, that's a camera for tourists. Yeah. Basically, that's what I told him. That's all you said? Huh? That's all you said? That's all I said. He let me in. He said, you laughed and he let me in. So, um, but, um, so that was the deal. couple of things though. One, well, one thing I want to bring up now, then some other stuff later uh, for everyone who's not punched out by now, but the, the, I think the first thing that I was struck by was that nothing was expensive. So I go, so we go to parking, and parking was eight euros. This is this is one of the largest clubs in Germany. They could certainly charge a hell of a lot more than eight euros, but that's all it cost. And then when we went to the stadium. I think my sausage sandwich cost four euros and my drink was like three because it wasn't alcohol. I think that, I think the beer was just under five euros. So you're talking about relative to the typical American sporting experience, a downright affordable and economically friendly, family friendly, level of, of scale of economics going on here. Wow. At the store at the store, 
there was nothing outrageously priced in the store. Now, granted, I was going for a a naturally cheaper item like a scarf, although that has its own value in a soccer game. And I got my sweatshirt from the discount rack. So, you know, I wasn't looking to spend a lot of money, but even the stuff that I saw that I would think would be a lot really wasn't a lot. So that conversion, I mean, the the dollars are practically the same. It used to be a big difference. Um, And at our stadiums, we take advantage of everybody, you know, 20 bucks for parking. You know, we'll charge 15 bucks or more for a beer and everything is crazy. People at sporting events in the U.S., they should be wearing ski masks as much as they charge for some of this stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so night and day. And it also goes to something else I'm going to tell you about here. Mm-hmm. So we get games going. About 10 minutes before the first half ends, all of a sudden from the ultra section, from the yellow wall, comes all of these tennis balls onto that side of the field. It looked like hundreds of tennis balls. So that automatically stops the game. Then you have the people going out to try to run around to get the tennis balls. As soon as they start picking up all the tennis balls, another rain of tennis balls come out. No one's going into the ultra section to find out who's throwing tennis balls onto the field. Part of this has to do with the fact that in Germany, they have a rule called 50 plus one, where the German fans of any particular club have a certain amount of power, actually a majority of the power, 50 plus one, on some decisions. And so while they understand that there is a business side to soccer that makes a lot of decisions, that if the team does not do what they want them to do, there is a very real power, and this is really seen in German soccer, there's a very real power that the fans have to affect change. And it's based on this 50 plus one thing. So there are a handful of clubs in the Bundesliga, the top league, who are trying to break with this idea. And the, and the organization that covers German soccer is seemingly not doing anything about it. And one of them is Leipzig. One of them is Leverkusen 04. There's a handful. There's like only like three or four clubs is doing it. And two of them are very, very, very popular. uh, As far as like successful, I meant not popular, but successful. And so those tennis balls were thrown out by the ultras. And the game was stopped so that the ultras could start what amounted to about a 15-minute protest. And so they're chanting. They've got all these signs. Basically, you know, I mean, these signs, the signs last night were not bad. But there have been signs like, you know, there's one major owner who's like a big, the owner of the Leipzig team. And Dorman in particular has had signs saying, "You, you son of a whore, was like one of the one of the symbols. They had a big sign that had him had an outline of his face with a gigantic scope, a sniper uh, thing over his face. Oh, it's just that 
Yeah, that that actually got them a little bit into trouble. So they kind of backed off of that one. But they still would have these incredibly horrible things they would say about this guy's mother, him, everything like that, because they see him as an enemy to what German football is supposed to be about. So about 15 minutes, every every time the grounds crew got the balls, there would be like another rain of tennis balls. That's absurd. So what were the Dortmunder upset about? Well, they're upset about the fact that the German football league is not seemingly doing anything to try to enforce the 50 plus one idea that keeps this kind of runaway magnet like ownership of sports teams the way it's so common here in the United States. And so that's what well, that was their main issue talking about, you know, one of the signs says, you know, uh, uh, DFL, DFL, which is the, German football league and in, in, uh, in German said, so how do you like your blood money? You know, and all this stuff, you know, basically suggesting that the, the overriding group is partly benefiting from these handful of clubs that are kind of breaking the rules a bit. And so finally, after about 15 minutes, I guess the ultras, the Dortmund ultras had their say, and they were able to play like 12 minutes of stoppage time and they finished out the half. Wow. The next half, about 10 minutes into that, now the the Freiburg Ultras <laughs> begin throwing soccer, they start throwing tennis balls onto the field. The, the, now, the, what this is, visiting fans were that yes. empowered. Wow. They're, well, not only are they empowered, but it appears as if the two Ultra groups had planned this. So they were working together. Oh, my. And so what the Freiburg guys did, though, what they would do is they would throw a handful of tennis balls on the field. They, the guys would get it cleaned up. The, uh, the um, uh, referee would blow the whistle, recommencing the game. And as soon as he blew the whistle, another parade, another uh, wave of tennis balls fall into the field. So they got the whistle again, stops the game, clean up the thing, blow the whistle, start up the game, more tennis balls blow the whistle again, stop the game. And it becomes this rather comical thing. Now, that thing only lasted for about eight minutes, I think. Eight minutes? So what about the Dortmund fans? Were they in solidarity with that, or were they, were they upset with it? So every time the Dortmund fans were doing their chants, yeah. the, um, the, the Freiburg fans would echo it. And when the Freiburg fans were doing their chants, they, the the yellow wall would then echo what they were doing. And, and sometimes they would do chants together. What? It's like one big yeah. union. Exactly. <laughs> and, that, and that's what it, that's how it comes across. It's interesting you use that word because it does come across like a union that's in essence going on strike to prevent a product from being delivered. And even though the day eventually stop and then the rest of the game resumes and then the game finishes, you have this very interesting kind of protest culture that exists within German football, you know, especially with the ultras. And it's quite remarkable. What's interesting is every time they would, every time either the Dortmund ultras or the Freiburg ultras would throw the tennis balls onto the field. There was this obligatory, albeit very soft-spoken message over the PA announcer saying, please don't throw things on the field. And then as soon as he started saying that, everyone <laughs> would whistle 
everybody would whistle and whistle over it. So you couldn't even hear what the guy was saying. Because one, he's not talking very loud and it's probably on purpose. <laughs> and two, you get the fans that are just whistling and flipping the finger and all this other stuff. And I didn't know flipping the finger, by the way, was a European thing, but apparently they all like it because they're really? all doing it. Okay. Yes. Well, this this is um, not the direction I thought we I, th I thought we were going to be talking about tactics and maybe for once and for all explain to me what offsides means something like that. Um, but you're you're talking about these people wearing yellow and throwing tennis balls. Uh, this is a strange story you're coming up with here, Miller. Is this really the truth? It's really the truth. And you know what you know what offsides means. Don't try to draw me offside by making me try to explain it, but <laughs> I'll never understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is and at least it was for this game. Now I don't know if all the games were were having people protesting over this particular issue, although a lot of the league has a problem with this. But for whatever reason, I just happened to be there the night they decided that both ultra groups decided to kind of hijack the game for a little bit to get, get out this message. And it was fascinating because, you know, if you're a fan, I think the one thing as a fan, that's a true fan, you know, you as a football fan or me as a baseball fan, I think the one thing you want is you want your team ran well. And God forbid, even ethically, that the team does the right things, that they do the right things, that they don't do things that purposely take is, takes advantage of the fans or fleeces the fans. But we don't have the culture of protests. I mean, look at the Dallas Cowboys, who have, they didn't stunk for 30 years, but they have, in all ultimate terms, they have been unsuccessful for 30 years. Now, in in Germany, this would have created some massive protests over how well the organization is being ran. What are they doing about it? You know, the fans would be kind of interjecting their voice to be uh, to to play a role in the rebuilding, and that's just not the way it happens in the U.S. Be it baseball, football, hockey, doesn't matter. You know, well, so they, they complain, but they do it on social media, but. <laughs> out at the at the game, yeah. I mean the the security there would would have a conversation with them as they leave the stadium. This is interesting you brought up security because in um in the United States, the stadium does not belong to the fans. It is an extension of what the owner owns, and so the owner has rules. Maybe he didn't come up with them, or she. But the owner has rules as to what kind of banners can go up, if banners can go up. Right. That is not a conversation in Germany. Because, like I said, they're, you know, in Dortmund, they've had signs when they played against Leipzig where they would basically say the most horrible things about the owner, his mother, his, his, his uh, heritage, his parentage, everything. That, and there was no way. Cops would come up and take that stuff down. I can't imagine what would happen if cops tried to go into one of these ultra sections to take down the signs. It would not be pretty. So do you 
I think that the the cities actually own those stadiums, so people technically own it. Well, I think that. Well, I mean, assuming the stadium was built prior to, right? I don't think the owner has like a specific ownership, but there's very much a sense that the stadium, the grounds, and really the team, for that matter, belongs to the fans. It does not belong to the owner. The owner can go around and say he's the owner or she's the owner, but that's not the way it is viewed. So when the fans come in with signs, and I'm talking about signs like 20 feet long (laughs) or 50 feet high or something like that, that, you know, hey, this is what they do. And no cop, no security guy is going to say anything about it. So I'm surprised this hasn't happened like on television when you watch European soccer. You know, some of the things that do you see the or would they just go to a commercial or leave and go back to the studio until the game resumes? So here's the thing about that. In the United States, the European soccer that we most get on television is English Premier League. And the main reason is that the English Premier League is the highest, toughest, most challenging league worldwide, perhaps. Wow. Big words there. Uh, yes, but the, the English league is ran more like American sports. Now, the fans may protest, and they do protest. There's been a couple of protests that have happened um, in, in England this past year. Everton has had a bunch of protests. Um, uh, there's been a couple of them that have where you've seen these fan protests, but it's never, it never happens at the stadium. It never happens on the grounds. It never happens during a game that I've seen. And I think it's because like here in the United States, the stadium is not really theirs or it's not perceived as theirs. Here is a different story. So once the game ended, um, my impression is that everything would be relatively organized, just like the parking going in? Or was there like this bottleneck like we have? No, well, I mean, of course there's a lot. I mean, you're talking about over 81,000 people were there. Right. So, 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 you know, going there, people get there at different times. And so you don't really feel the traffic as much as you do when you leave. But even still, I think we were cleared of all stadium traffic in like 40 minutes. Pretty good. And and a bunch of those people probably took public transportation. Oh, sure. Um, but but that's that's still remarkable. And we 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 I wonder what they did differently, but they're pretty good at organization over there. I give that to <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was thinking I was thinking about how you would feel about these guys, these these German voices over over bullhorns, because that's because the each of the ultra sections have what we might term in college football yell leaders, um, and so they basically have the bullhorn and they're basically introducing, okay, we're going to do this chant, and then they do that chant, then we're going to do this song, then they do that song, now we're going to throw tennis balls and they do that, you know what have you? <laughs> okay, I thought it was spontaneous. Now you're starting to demystify all this. <laughs> Well, no, I no the tennis balls that was on purpose. The whole purpose of the <laughs> tennis balls was to stop the game so that the protest could be had. 
And so it's it's a, it, it was all that was all calculated. But yeah, I mean, you know, within the ultra section, they've got their set chants, they have their set songs. It's like the band who knows about 10 songs every time they play a gig. You know, it's basically that sort of thing. And of course, they're jumping. And let me tell you something. When you see 25,000 people jump, <laughs> I, for anybody who's interested, just go onto YouTube and do a, just just uh, type in Yellow Wall Dortmund. And then you're going to see what 25,000 people jumping at the same time looks like. Well, the, the seating from the picture you sent or the video I actually saw looked like the it was relatively steep. Like you were right up pretty high behind the people behind you, but it went almost straight up and, and as opposed to maybe our stadium was a little bit more linear going back. It, it is amazing how steep it looks. Now we were on the we were on the the kind of the 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 lengthwise of the field. The yellow wall is behind one of the goalkeepers. On the south side, they used to be called, I think it used to be called the south section. I think it's only recently they've been called the yellow wall. But, but you know, it when you see 25,000 people all jumping up and down, it's like this undulating kind of water-like ripple effect. And it's it's made more amazing when you know that those are people that you're seeing doing this. And it just blows away anything else you've ever seen that's similar to that was this a covered dome stadium or outdoors so it's, it's an outdoor stadium it's, you know, if you remember what the old cowboy stadium looked like they had like the little window where god could watch the cowboys you know so like but the, <laughs> the but the seating itself was covered because the roof kind of kind of overlaps and then just opens up in the middle that's basically what uh signal iduna park is it kind of it kind of looks the exact same way so the players can get rained on, but not the fans. Yeah, for the most part, I think there's a handful of fans. Like if you're if you really got the nice seats, you might get some rain, but most of them are going to be pretty dry. Okay. Well, anything else that surprised you, Herr Miller? I just think it was a it was a it was a fairly convivial atmosphere, and I thought what was interesting was that the amount of kind of tolerance. Because I will, I will admit, by the end of the 15 minutes when the yellow wall was protesting, I thought, okay, I think you've, I think you've had the chance to make your point here. But no, it's over when they say it's over, <laughs> and that's it, you know. And so it was, it's just one of those things that even though you had this protest, even though you had people who were angry, the interactions between people in the stands were quite pleasant. I mean, the seating was nice. It's basically a glorified folding out metal chair, but it's a lot of room. Uh, and I'm a big guy, so I could appreciate a lot of room on my chair at the stadium. Uh, that was nice. It's very interesting. You have guys that go get beers and they would have like these little uh, carriers of like six beers and beer. And, and there was like a message on the side of the carrier that says the beer is not for racist. And so there's this big anti-racism campaign, which, of course, Germany is particularly sensitive about right. simply because of their history. And so even though you got these big, you know, in some cases, burly, in some cases, you know, these kind of tough looking characters and they're all carrying around these rather anti-racism messages, 
you know, it, it tells you a little bit about how much it's bought in on many different levels within society. And even the ultra groups that are borderline criminals. And I, I draw your attention to St. Pauli, which is a club that's in Hamburg and in Dresden. Although those folks, they may be racist. I don't know. But I mean, there's some, there's some pretty rough crowds. Even these groups are, they tend to very, they tend to vocalize very anti-racist messages. Because I think, I think all Germans, you know, don't, don't want to see anything that even closely resembles a repeat of what happened. Now, there may be different arguments about different political parties in Germany. There's one in particular that's causing some consternation. But, in, but that's interesting that there is that, that political element to the clubs. Well, I'm glad that people are still pleasant despite all that. That's uh, <laughs> Miller. And, and you were, you minded your P's and Q's, you're on your best behavior. You don't cause a scene, uh, draw attention to yourself as a, as an American abroad. Let me tell you something. This isn't my first rodeo, first of all. Because <laughs> one, because one, you and I have been to a Bundesliga match before, as you mentioned earlier. I've been in Veteran Stadium in Philly as a fan of the other team. And that one, you just kind of keep your head down. As long as you don't act like a show-off kind of idiot, I mean, you're, no one's going to really bother you. And that's, you know, that's why it is in Philly, you know, what have you. And of course, I'm a fan of Dortmund, so I came with the appropriate gear. I'm not trying to stand out as anybody except for my ball cap, I guess. <laughs> it's like, you know, that be the american so but outside of that no i try to keep a low profile just there to enjoy it not to become a part of the scene you know well we'll need to keep doing these travel logs Herr miller and you seem to travel <laughs> way more than i do um so who knows when you'll be doing this again what do you think do you think our sports be, could, could become better if they were able to adopt some of the qualities of international sports. I mean, I know that you are not necessarily a soccer fan the way I am, but I know you are aware of things that are happening internationally. I wonder if what you think could benefit American sports and their leagues and the teams. I'm, I'm in this, <clears throat> this phase where I'm a little bit down on sports. I, and I, I'm becoming reflective because I've watched thousands of football games. I'm wondering, did I spend that time wisely looking? Back? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I know what's going to happen as it, as it's happening and what will happen. And, um, and so it has elements of watching tragedy unfold. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I think that our sports are healthy. People are attending television ratings, all of that. So I don't really have any, suggestions um i mean this is a the idea of having a one city team i mean we have states and with with multiple teams and so forth but there just doesn't seem to be that attachment you know between the community and the team and except for in maybe some places in the east coast like where you grew up but for the most part it's it's more transactional and not they're not part of that community it, um yeah i mean it, when we you know we do tend to be a one horse town in a lot of places, as you said, the place I can think of that's different 
is New York. And I mean, there used to be a lot of teams on, you know, in bigger cities that had more than one team. But, you know, you know, New York lost a lot of their teams when you started having kind of a demographic shift going towards the West Coast. And that's where the Giants went. That's where the Dodgers went. But I do wonder, I couldn't help but think, what would happen? Would our sports become better if the fans had more of a say? Now, the problem for me is that while I can appreciate this as a fan, the fans, by definition, are not always rational. They're emotional. And that could lead to bad decisions. And so I'm not sure, even though I can understand it as a fan, I don't know how that looks, you know, having American teams kind of adopting that kind of a personality. Yeah, I'm I'm probably showing my age, but I want to be able to go to a game without any angry people yelling and (laughs) shouting and chanting and having signs and throwing things on the field. Uh, I want it to be a place where, you know, you can take your kid and not worry about anything. And, you know, so the, the perfect example is going to a day game, you know, baseball. When it's just older folks going, it's really relaxed. And that, for me, that that's the perfect experience. You know, no drama, just watch the game and have some food and, and, and leave. But no, I don't, I don't, I don't think any of the stuff you're talking about would, would be an improvement here um, in, in any way. I don't see it. It is one of the strangest things when you and I went to that baseball game, my first day game as a retired person. <laughs> and I just remember us both looking around going, damn, there's a lot of old people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were among them. I know. <laughs> it's yeah. all old people and kids skipping school. That's basically all it was. So, yeah, that's, that's my kind of crowd. <laughs> Well, there you go. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 as a fan, I do know that having rich people in charge of your team, you know, you need money. Uh, but there are certainly pitfalls in that as well. So you're right. I don't know if we'd be able to handle it. Who knows? But I, it, it, it's going to be interesting because my friends who helped arrange this for me, they are so incredible. So they worked so hard to make this happen. Plus, they drove eight hours basically really one day. Something, yeah. Uh, well, they they stood both of us, and I'm, I'm you can't get any better as far as hospitality. No. So, in exchange for what they've done for me here, they're coming to they're coming to Texas at the end of March. Okay. And, and I'm taking them to a baseball game. And I told them, though, this is going to be against one of our biggest rivals. And I told them, I said, even with all that, this will be nothing like what we just experienced. Because they were like, do your fans sing? I said, well, there's the national anthem at the beginning. You know, uh, they, they look at themselves on the Jumbotron. Um, <laughs> and the music that they play in between is really, really loud. <laughs> Much louder than the fans. It is so night and day. It's going to be interesting to see how they interact with that experience with, you know, European football, soccer being their only uh, point of reference. 
it'll, it'll be exotic, but I, I think I'll have a good time. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Well, with that, I shall bid you adieu, Herr Dr. Bourgeois from Germany. Adieu. Uh, auf Wiedersehen. And I'll see you at the airport here, Mallory. I'll see you at the airport. I hope you'll be at the airport. So. <laughs> All right. Mach's gut. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>